0: Welcome to the We podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz. And Greg, we just got to uh, sit in on, on the first media availability for all the new coaches. And, and I guess new sort of has to be in quotation marks because Graham Harrell uh, will, was there as well. So we got to hear from the the new coaches and also a little bit from Harrell. The, the first guy up was Todd Orlando, and, and everything that we have heard about him has been kind of high energy and tenacious and and hitting, and the thing that stood out for me, you know, the the little quote that goes with what he said, he was asked about his his defensive philosophy or his defense overall, what what people can expect, what he wants from it, and and run and hit. And, And that's what he said at other stops, and that really... So out to me where you heard all last last off season we're going to simplify we're going to simplify boy that that is as simple as you can make it on the defensive side.
1: Well, you know my first impression of Orlando was night and day between intensity and attitude compared to Clancy Pendergast. That's not a, a rip on Clancy. You know he is what he is. He was a nice guy. I thought a professional, but I really sense that this guy. And I, I shouldn't be surprised because Orlando's forte is being a linebacker coach. And I always tell people, you can tell a linebacker coach and linebackers—they look like Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. There's a look in their eyes; it's just that they're predators. And my feeling was it was very refreshing to uh, to see that type of intensity. Uh, I don't know how many times we heard the word "violent," but I think if uh, we got paid a dollar for each time, we could go on vacation. <laughs> Uh, you know, ripping through somebody. I mean, I'll I'll say this. Uh, If there's one thing I really think they are going to accomplish, and certainly it won't be for lack of trying, is this is going to be a very intense football team. Uh, It's going to be night and day. Uh, I'm not here to tell you that the defense is going to, you know, uh, be uh, Alabama worthy, but they're going to be, they're going to hit. And they're going to hit. Because these coaches, uh, all the defensive coaches, and I know we'll get into them uh, in a second here, but just the attitude of, you know, uh, it reminded me of a Pete Carroll staff in a way, uh, and maybe a little bit more extroverted and definitely intense. The word violent and their intensity was like, I feel like I'm at Camp Pendleton, (laughs) and this is a Marine Corps. And anything less than watching somebody get decapitated uh is not going to be acceptable.
0: And, and Craig Navar was up next and, and those two Orlando and Navar go hand in hand. And, and uh it was interesting when they started working together. They it, it was it was recently I think they said at, at Houston is when they kind of came together. Um and and you can tell they just kind of clicked. And, and I think with the entire defensive staff, we'll talk about Dante Williams was was up there and then Vic Soto, he he was there too. They're all a little bit off, and I think that is maybe the biggest compliment you can give to a defensive coach, Where they and they know that. They were up front.
1: Well, one uh, of them didn't uh, say we're a little he, off?
0: He said he and Dante Williams have really connected in the fact that they're a little bit off-center, That the personality that they have, and it's interesting to hear them talk. Each one of those defensive uh, coaches – they're they're almost in awe of how energetic and and crazy the other defensive coaches
1: are and and they so, fire each other
0: up right and so the offensive coaches that mentioned that too they go into the the uh you know the coaching offices and they they hear music blaring already from the defensive staff and they're going and they're hitting their, the defensive coaches are always on is kind of the the way it was phrased a little bit um and and you know that was something that was very evident in this. You mentioned this staff is going to have a ton of energy. They talk about uh you know physicality they talk about violence they talk about hitting we'll see if that translates over it, it you know clearly it's up to the players to carry that out on the field. but the message is going to be there. One of the things and now i think i I feel like we can hit kind of all these defensive coaches because it is kind of this. Homogeneous, you know, effort of of all these guys coming in and really needing to take over and and dial up the defense a few notches. But Vixoto, he he had a comment when he started talking about his defensive linemen, where he said they're gonna hate me and then they're gonna love me. And he said right now they're going through that first stage in a big way. The thing that stuck out to me about what he talked about there was he's going to show them what they need to do to be great, not what they need to do to work in this defense or to see the field or anything. He mentioned kind of a, a story about what Charles Woodson was doing. That That's kind of the level that he wants to take these players. And if they're willing to go there, he says, that that's they need to follow my lead and then we can get there. That was something that stood out to me where these new coaches are coming in and they're seeing kind of quickly and they're very careful not to say, Well, I looked at what was going on last year, and we've got to change that. But there's also a a very kind of confident way where they talk about we're going to come in and we're going to do things the way we feel they need to be done. And we know because we're at USC, we have the players that that we can can get done what we feel like can get done
1: at USC. Well, I thought, in adding to your point, these coaches, and I asked a couple of questions on this, when they... Let's just take, uh, you know, Coach Soto, okay? Uh, he and, uh, you know, some of the other coaches were talking about how they grew up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And, you know, SC is, in their mind, that's where I wish I could have played. Mm-hmm. And maybe they weren't good enough. You know, Soto ended up at BYU. But this idea, in their minds, you know, where SC has been in recent times is totally unacceptable Mm -hmm. you know we we talk about and i'm sure some of our listeners have probably to the point of getting sick about it listening you know my writing has basically been you know does carol fault the president of the school really feel the passion does mike bone i think he knows the passion i think he's far along in learning now you know you better you're gonna be held accountable uh, you know as much as you can be held accountable, this passion that these new coaches coming in they feel it and I feel that they feel it and i and i and I have not felt that way with some of the hires they've had before. I thought it was yeah, I'm at s c it's another coaching job for me yes, I know about then all the eleven national titles but you know when when you when you talk to you know Dante Williams, the cornerback coach and he makes a big thing out of, hey, this is USC, man. Well, you know I posed the question, you grew up and went to Culver City High School and you played. Obviously, he knows SC, and when he grew up, SC, you know, the Carroll era, the whole thing. So, to me, that's the most important thing. You can preach violence all you want, but the players have to buy into it. Okay, it's an attitude. And I'll say this, I was extremely impressed with every coach, new coach that I saw come in. Their attitude and the, their enthusiasm is not false. Mm-hmm. It is real. Mm-hmm. The biggest question to me is, while they praise Clay Helton, while they said he's a wonderful guy, they all said what a wonderful person he is, that's certainly not a revelation to, to any of us, okay? But it's almost like Clay Helton is a really totally different personality than the coaches he has brought in. These guys really, to me, are top-notch coaches, at least what we can tell at this point.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't think that's necessarily uh, a recipe for disaster or success. I mean, I I think it can work um, because there's clearly a lot of respect that these coaches have for Clay Helton. They talked about how uh, the, the hiring process went for them, and they all talked about how they really gravitated towards clay helton as a as a person and as a coach i don't think clay helton needs to to be that hit hit their same energy level there are times where it feels like he kind of dials it up on the practice field but there's also times where it it really seems like he wants to kind of be more laid back and really kind of have those the heart to hearts with the players and that sort of thing these guys are going to run roughshod over the players. Exactly. And they, they can exactly. be, they can be that uh, everyone, you know, Marv goo is that name that comes up constantly. Where is that guy? Where is Ed Orgeron? Uh, that, that, that voice you heard sometimes in English, sometimes it just felt like kind of animal snarling, you know, from, from the far corner of the field. I think you're going to get that from a lot of these guys and a lot, a lot of the defensive guys, uh, they, they sort of pride themselves on being that kind of, you know, maniac, I guess, for, for lack uh, I, of a better word. I will tell you word.
1: something that I, uh, so I don't forget here. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I took, I'll relate to the one story that um, Vic Soto, the new defensive line coach, said, if you don't really basically play ball the way I want, violent, and he said this I took seniors and mm-hmm. they were on the scout team. Mm hmm. And I heard that, and I say, dude, you are my type of coach. Now, as one who coached for 27 years, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. Okay? I know that players respond to not playing. Okay, He's not going to play favorites. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense of pride in him, as I felt in Orlando. Now, we all know that Orlando's defenses traditionally start off very fast in the first year, and then for whatever reason, they're not quite as effective. But right now, that doesn't ha- we, we can't look two or three years down mm-hmm. the line. We have to say, what can you do right now with this team? Because if a team is positioned to win the Pac-12 South and maybe go further on to the Rose Bowl or what have you, uh, this would be the team. So to me, uh, you know, Helton is Helton, okay? He's Father Flanagan. He's going to put his arm around them and say, are you okay, here, have a Kleenex. You'll be, you'll feel better. You know, dab your face a little bit. These coaches, I don't think, that, and going back to what you said, I don't think they have any feeling on the field whether they I hurt your feelings. Uh, if anything, it's going to be like, uh, yeah, you better move it or you're not playing, period. And I felt that uh, there was a credibility there, mm-hmm. which was very important to me, credibility. I think when they say they're going to be physical, I think they're going to be physical, you know. And that's what's important. I mean, we've, we're we all familiar that we've been told in the past that he's going to be physical, and they're not, and they're or at least they're inconsist- inconsistently mm-hmm. physical. I think these guys are going to bring it in every play, and if you don't, you sit.
0: Yeah. A, a couple things that stood out to me talking about Todd Orlando's defense. He said up front it's very multiple, the idea that this is going to be a three-down uh, front or a four-down front, back and forth. And, and Vic Soto he talked about, Uh, needing guys to understand when we're in a three down front, this is what your responsibility is. When we're four down, this is your responsibility. And that sort of being the toughest, uh, aspect of playing defensive line in that system. Uh, coach, coach Nivar and coach Orlando, who are very familiar with kind of installing this system at, at their stops that they've had, uh, what they, they were asked about kind of how you get it to click quickly and, uh, Corcholando said, uh, "A lot of times, it, it's you know getting veterans because they they're gonna understand more of of anything that you bring to them. But also the fact that it it is he said the fact that it is kind of multiple. It it allows people to grasp onto it a little bit quicker and play a little bit faster. Now a, a lot of the sort of detractors of of bringing them in or people who are at least cautious uh, about jumping fully on board." Texas last year was kind of a a disaster and he said when when you get a lot of young guys in at the same time and injuries hit Texas almost as hard as they hit USC last year that seemed to be kind of why that happened USC like you talk about we're not talking about in two years in three years this is a a very very veteran defense and the expectation would be to pick it up quickly And, and the coaches too and other things that stood out for me well first of all uh w- one quick thing craig Nivar was asked you know what does your ideal safety look like he actually brought up marvell tell um w- which is a guy you know marvell tell played for usc against texas so they would have gotten to, to be able to see him there um i thought that was kind of an interesting name to bring up as we want we, he said we would clone him five times and just throw him out there in the in the secondary um and so for me for me that was uh kind of a, a point that i took away um, the other thing I thought was interesting is that they don't really, and, and I I guess all coaches say this, they don't look back at last year. It's going to be, let's throw the guys out on the field right now and see what we get. And it, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity for some young guys maybe to to make a statement. There, there are guys at every level, uh, defensive back, linebacker, defensive line, that typically would maybe have just come up and taking their time behind the seniors. I think based on what they said, it makes spring ball a whole lot interesting to look at some of those depth chart battles. Like Vic Sooto, the the name he mentioned twice was Caleb Tremblay. You know, when you're, when you think of a new guy coming in, talking about the defensive line, yes, he mentioned J2 fele Yes. He mentioned Marlon Tui we but he was very upfront talking about how impressed he was early on with Caleb Tremblay. I would anticipate getting a few of those guys, maybe at, at every level, that impresses a new staff you mentioned they all talked about kind of being physical and being violent they also talked about and dante williams especially how much do you love football and so there, there's going to be an opportunity for some of these young guys and he said we want to watch what guys do when nobody's looking and so i think that really opens up Competition has been a, a big word for USC fans ever since Pete Carroll kind of used that as his rallying cry to build the program to where he built it. Feels like we're going to get a lot of that, uh, especially on the defensive side. I think overall it becomes a big thing, but
1: no, that's a defensively big I,
0: I looked at, at that as being something that they were really selling.
1: When I coached, I used to tell the players, some of you like the game and mm-hmm. some of you love the game. The guys that like the game, they'll go out with their girlfriend on on, on on Saturday night. The guys that love the game will be in the weight room, or if it's basketball, you're in the gym shooting. And it's a real test of your passion. Uh, SC cannot win championships with guys that like the game. They have to love the game. They need to be gym rats. One that would come to mind would be like a Matt Grudegood. He was a gym rat. During those Carol years of greatness in the early... A third of 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 the regime there they were all gym rats they they loved the game. they didn't live off the brand. and that was another thing i I don't know I, I'd like to hear your 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 thoughts on this. You know, they all of them, there's a lot of talk about recruiting. Oh, we're going to
0: get into yeah. recruiting now. Yeah. Yes, ab- absolutely. Go go ahead and make that because it was recruiting, recruiting, recruiting for every new coach that, that talked today.
1: Yeah, I think what stood out to me on the recruiting, uh, and there was just a, a, a plethora of recruiting uh, comments and questions, was the fact that they were saying, we're not recruiting off the brand name USC. We're recruiting for our team. And it's, yes, it's good. We got a lot to sell with USC. But we're not going to let... And this was a sense a lot of people have had the last several years. Uh, that SC was living off the brand name. And then here comes Oregon. And here comes Cristobal. And there was some questions about Cristobal and his intensity that Dante Williams, of course, new defensive back coach who comes from Oregon, you know, considered a, a, a savant when it comes to recruiting. And he said, hey... Uh, Crystal ball, just he's a grinder, and you got that impression from the new coaches. At least that was my impression. That they're grinders, that you know they're they're relentless, and it, it was refreshing because we know that Clancy Pendergrass didn't really recruit. You know, I I think that was absurd. But the bottom line is, is these guys look like they're a all in one mindset. We're gonna recruit the heck out of USC and then, you know, we're going to do what we do on the field. How how did you feel about that? Uh,
0: Absolutely. I mean, one of the questions was, you know, after Todd Orlando spoke, I I believe it was to Dante Williams, what does it mean to have a defensive coordinator who's so involved in recruiting? And he said it's huge. It's absolutely huge. The quote that stuck out to me was Craig Nyfard talking about, he said, recruiting's like shaving. If you don't do it every day, you look like crap. And to me that stood (laughs) out because it has felt for a while now like USC has tried to compartmentalize recruiting to where they're doing stuff on the field with the team, then they have some recruiting stuff going on, then they're playing the season, then they're doing recruiting. And every one of these guys talked about you have to recruit every minute of every day. And it and and it feels like it's been a little while since that has happened at USC. And and Dante Williams talked about that. He said If you're up for 18 hours, well, what he specifically said is if you're up for 24 hours in a day, you can't recruit for 23 hours. You have to recruit every minute you're up. He said he doesn't sleep very much, so it sounds sounds like he sleeps from about 2 to 5.30 in the morning. He said if he's going to bed at 2 and he knows that there's a kid on the East Coast that has to be up at 5, He's sending him a message before he goes to bed at two. When he's up at 5.30, he knows that he can jump straight into it. And that is what he's doing every day. And he said, that's what makes him, he didn't specifically say that's what makes him a good recruiter, but that when everybody knows of him as a great recruiter and asked him, you know, what do you do that? That's sort of what he said between hearing them all talk about relationships and being open and honest with recruits outside of that it was just do it you got to do it you got to do it all the time and i you you look at you look back at some of the players that Orlando and Nava were able to bring into Texas you look back at Dante Williams just coming down into southern california and raiding southern california to help bring guys up to oregon there's track record here. It's not guys talking about, "Oh, this is what I would do with recruiting." It's no, this is what I do to get it done. And USC again, they're going to use USC, I think, in their recruiting to do it, but I think these guys would be just fine if they had to go start the Cal State Fullerton program and recruit against USC. That I think that's that's how hard they're going to recruit for USC. And all of them are really like-minded. There were a lot of sort of buzzwords that they all used. And all coming from kind of different areas, too. Different backgrounds and, and different walks. But it all felt like they were talking from the exact same kind of playbook. There was a common theme. About how to do this. And, yeah, hearing Dante Williams talk about, you ha- I mean, every minute of every day you're recruiting. recruiting—that That really stuck out to me. And it's one of those... Of course, he's a great recruiter. I mean, if that if that's what he's doing, and he, they also specifically talked about building relationships and really understanding what these kids are, are wanting and what they're looking for right now, and and uh, I, I believe it was Navar. I'm not going to try to pin this on a specific coach, but certainly what a few of them are saying is they want to plan. They want to know, these five-star recruits, they want to know, what am I doing my freshman year there? What am I doing my sophomore year there? what am I doing my junior year there? Because then I'm off to the NFL. And they said, finding a way to match that to the program's goals of winning national championships while you're doing that is a big key in kind of how you build success, both at the same time recruiting and on the field. So again, recruiting, 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 intensity, violence, physical, that, I mean, that seemed to be Relentlessness. The, theme, the theme of the day kind of for all of those, all of those defensive coaches. And they talked about hitting. I mean, they, they want to hit. They said, uh, the NCAA allows a certain number of periods, a certain number of days where you can hit and they're going to use every one of them. And, uh, while it's not going to be every second of every practice that you're hitting, he said that, that's where you find out, all of them, all of them said, that's where you find out who you have as football players. Once you start hitting, once you start getting physical, everything else, uh, I believe, you know, the underwear Olympics and seven on seven and all that <laughs> kind of stuff was thrown out. That's not where you find out if you're good. That's not where you find out if you did, have Did you find players. that
1: comment when he threw out that seven on seven stuff, that, there, <laughs> that message was being sent? that we don't we're not looking for 7 on 7 all Americans.
0: It's it definitely was one of those things that you you pick up on. You pick up on the fact that the number of times that they kind of unprompted went back to talking about uh hitting and being physical and and that sort of stuff. Like you said, you you have to buy into it. Until you see otherwise, I would certainly expect practices to to look a little bit different and sound a a, a lot different too just based on kind of the personalities
1: here that that we got introduced to today. I mean, if they're doing that in front of us, the media, Mm -hmm. and we're picking up on the intensity, I am really kind of excited. Mm -hmm. I wasn't all that excited about spring ball until until I was maybe, uh, you know, got to know these guys today. But there's going to be just a complete earthquake for those guys on the defensive end, the players. If they're telling us what they're telling us, and they're probably telling the players in their meetings, "You better come to play." Well, the credibility is going to be when the guys get this, when they get in their uniforms and they do it, and they find out, "Hey, these guys aren't messing around." Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to play, and they—the uh, sense is, you, you don't do what we tell you. You're not playing. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, go go back to mama and cry. Yeah. You know, so that was good. I thought one of the other things here uh, uh, was uh, there was just little bits of information. Uh, I thought that leaked out one of it. I think that probably uh, our listeners probably want to hear is offensive line wise. Mm -hmm. The idea that uh, Graham Harrell dropped the line that I know we're all concerned about the offensive tackles uh, that Elijah Vera Tucker could be moved out to left tackle. Well, when you when you come out and say that, Mm -hmm. my feeling is they probably really want to have him go there
0: certainly going to take a look at it yeah he said what we want to do is we want to find our five best players in whatever order they go from left to right and so clearly there isn't a well we have our three guys in the middle set let's go find some tackles it feels like it's going to be we're gonna we're gonna try everything we need to do to find the best left tackle left guard center right guard right tackle and however that ends up looking is how it's going to look and and from the way Graham Harrell talked about it, it sure seems far from set and like it's going to be a challenge. Like like they're going to have to take a long look at a lot of guys. So that's, like you said, kind of fascinating uh, up on the offensive line. The other thing, talking about – flipping over to the other side, talking about uh, offense kind of tidbits that came out, talking about the quarterback position and Keaton Slovis, he had that – the elbow strain suffered against Iowa – Will he be ready to go? Graham Harrell couldn't. He he wasn't going to talk specifically about injuries. Sounds like they'll sort of slow him into spring I thought ball wishy see. Yeah, see maybe what's going to happen. Certainly not. Oh yeah, fully ready to go and and he's going to go out there and and take every rep. They're going to have to figure out really how to balance quarterback reps. You have Matt Fink is you know maybe the only scholarship quarterback uh, healthy to start spring, but he also said. Keen, Slovis, JT Daniels, both going to push as far as they can go. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, The assumption would be JT Daniels is out until
1: fall. That was, my ACL, that was my impression.
0: He talked about maybe we'll even get something out of him. Certainly wouldn't expect any kind of running or anything on the knee, but maybe just able to kind of throw the ball a little bit and, and not, not – Seven on seven or team or anything like it was that. Almost but like a cameo role. In individual drills, you know, we'll, you know, don't want to kind of speculate about about where he might be, uh, in terms of spring. But he did talk about, you know, maybe getting something out of, uh, out of JT, and then kind of figuring out with Keaton where he is um, in the process, and the expectation for him, certainly from from us, would be that we'll see him during spring. How? how much they have to limit him in terms of the number of throws he needs to make just because the quarterback numbers are, are down. You don't have four scholarship guys to, to roll out there right now. That's going to be fascinating, but going to full health tight end, we heard from tight ends coach, uh, John David Baker today, Daniel Bebe back, fully healthy, ready to go. Said he's been an absolute blessing, uh, to the tight end room. Just a, a mature guy, uh, brings kind of that, that you don't really expect or, or, mostly see uh, from a college-age kid, and that's a a big addition, but it's one of those, but it's the tight end, and we'll see. He talked about when they recruit tight ends at USC, they talk about the tight end they had at North Texas and what he did. They talked specifically that he's on the field for 85-90% of the plays, doesn't come off, he does everything they want him to do. Last year, they thought they were a better offense with four wide receivers. Boy, look at that wide receiver room, and Someone at tight end has got to do something to rise up and take a spot and get some playing time. And that's what he said. They tell every single guy at every single position, make us play you. For me, that becomes fascinating with the tight ends this spring to see if they can jump some of those wide receivers and make it so that our offense is better with an Eric hook, with Josh Fala, with a couple of those young guys, with Daniel Bebe out on the field uh but but those were cut like you mentioned a couple personnel things that that stuck out to me Yep, (laughs) and then uh some of the other offensive stuff it it feels like they're really confident between baker and, and harrell the two offensive guys that we heard from today that this jump is coming from first year to second year when the players get out on the field and they realize there's no install you know everything it's the same as last year the fact that the quarterback usually takes that big step forward in his second year in the system sort of has that trickle down effect to the rest of the offense. We'll see what I talking personnel again, I was interested he Graham Harrell was asked about how many healthy running backs you're gonna have for spring, and he was a little wishy washy about that. Again, I thought he's that gonna, was
1: really strange.
0: He's gonna defer to to Clay Helton um about all injury stuff. Um but again, did not come out and say, no, we're going to have every running back and, and we're going to be good. So every spring there's always, you know, the guy who maybe had some minor offseason surgery and needs a couple weeks and is, you know, coming back at the end of spring. But that running back position now gets interesting uh, to watch. Yeah, that in came out of left that. field
1: to me. I, I kept saying to myself, well, who's hurt? I mean, Steph is supposed to be coming back and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Fubai, Alapei, he's okay to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, Krishan, Grishon, he's, he's supposed to be okay. Mm -hmm. So who's hurt? Yeah. You know, is there something we don't know yet?
0: Yeah. So we'll, we'll take a look at that spot. Certainly when, uh, when spring ball opens and then uh, Sean Snyder, the special teams coach, there was again, a lot to like about what he talked about. (laughs) A couple of things that stood out to me, someone asked, uh, what are you, what are you looking for in a punt returner? And he did not hesitate for a second he said touchdowns (laughs) he wants big plays from his special teams now he couched that a little bit by saying we're always going to do the smart thing we're not going to bring the ball out on a kickoff nine yards deep in the end zone if it makes sense for the way the game is going and and the way the offense is going to fair catch something we're going to do that but he wants to give his returners chances to make big plays he talked about how big plays on special teams can turn games, bring emotion off the sideline with the offense, with the defense, with the fans. So he's looking for those big plays. You, I, I'm curious your thoughts on the question that you asked him <laughs> about. And, and it goes to a little bit, uh, we, we talked about with Vic Sooto. If you're not doing it right, you're not going to play. There were some issues on special teams for USC just in terms of getting the right number of guys out on the field and, and you asked sean snyder about that
1: yeah i said i said you know how are you going to prevent having 10 guys nine guys on the kickoff or extra point team and all that sort of stuff and he i thought diplomat, diplomatically said you know we we have a way of doing it of organizing it and i you know i mean i've seen it where i think oregon at one time had like little round dots uh on, on the sideline that every guy had to Stand on his dot, ready to go in as a special teams player, mm-hmm. because this was so glaring that if you're really looking for uh, uh, an indictment of, of Baxter and, and certainly he's old news now. But this was a reoccurring theme. I mean, how could you not have 11 guys? This would happen early in the game after a timeout. You just go, well, what's going on? And so I I think that uh, I think that probably Sean Snyder was aware of that looking at the film, you know, and, uh, you know, new coaches aren't going to talk about the old coaches. It's you know, it's it's kind of like a code of respect. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was some comments from almost all the coaches. Well, I really, you know, I'm not into last year, but well, first of all, come on, every coach in the world says in order for me to fix something, I got to see what the problem was Mm -hmm. to begin with. So I thought it was uh, fascinating with with him. I thought it was also interesting, his comments about uh, Ben Griffiths, mm-hmm. that he really was, uh, you know, uh, full of praise for him and, you know, talked a little bit about direction and that sort of stuff. And I think later on, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. He says the spring special teams is going to be like the fall special teams. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they put in a lot of emphasis on special teams uh, in terms of uh, – maybe uh other than just at the end of practice field goal little session competition but my sense is okay how long a practice is gonna be for special teams because in the past that was a critique that was like how long are we gonna do special teams and this is the result we get mm-hmm. ten guys nine guys mm-hmm. so he seemed to he brought brought it down to us I think he said ten minute uh intervals of here and there or five minute there so it, it all made it all made sense which was. A relief, And he, uh, you know, this is the son of the legendary Bill Snyder who was a grad assistant under John McKay in 1966. This guy's, you know, he's grown up in it. So it made, it made for, I thought the most interesting part of the whole thing, which may not seem as interesting, there was no uh, Clay Helton there. Mm -hmm. That was intriguing to me. He didn't introduce his coach. It was Tim Tesla on the uh, SID. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that We have been really shielded from Helton at this point. I mean, I said to friends of mine that when I was coming down, I said, yesterday, I said, you know, this is going to be interesting. And I said, maybe Helton won't show up. And everyone said, oh, no, he's got to show up to introduce his assistants. Isn't that kind of like a good protocol? But he was nowhere. I mean, he might have been. Maybe he was out of town recruiting. I don't know. But it was just very curious that he wasn't there.
0: Yeah, a couple things, too. I... that that we kind of skipped over the hiring process for a lot of these guys they talked about it I thought it was interesting Sean Snyder said he just sent Clay Hilton a text that's just right. and that's kind of how that started it took he said it took about a month and a half to kind of finalize the process as Clay Hilton was helping hire other coaches and going kind of seemed like he went uh you know either bouncing back and forth between positions and, and trying to get everything lined up before it, it was finalized, but. Yes, uh, Sean Steiner reached out um, when he saw that there was an opening, and then the other one that was interesting was Vic Soto. He said it was on Super Bowl Sunday, watching the Super Bowl. He starts to hear, you know, rumblings of, of coaching uh, changes, and when he found out that Todd Orlando was going to be the guy. During the Super Bowl. During the Super Bowl. Uh, follows him on Twitter Orlando follows back Says hey let's talk And that's how that gets gets out. So the, those were a couple uh, Pieces I, there, There's always a lot of curiosity About you know Who did the hiring And, and how did this, ha- this happen And the coach is very clear That, that Clay Helton was involved In, in a big way In, in a lot of uh, In a lot of the hiring there um, and, and to just kind of wrap up Your point about Sean Snyder And, and his answer to your question how do you prevent 10 guys on the field or what do you think about that? And he just said that that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, very, very matter of fact, that doesn't happen. Well, that Trojan fans will happen. be
1: happy to hear that that's
0: not going and, to happen. Exactly. And, and again, it was kind of a way, you know, to end things on, on a positive note for for an event that, uh, again, meeting the new coaches, It's USC kind of winning the offseason again. There was a good feeling about kind of the offensive staff that got put together last season. A very good feeling coming out of this about the defensive staff. And it ultimately comes down to the end of this is we'll see. We'll see how it works during the spring. And the coaches were up front about that, too. They were asked, you know. Who do you have? Or do you feel good about the players you have? And they said, I don't know. We're going we're gonna to find out when the pads come on. And so that that's very much the case for us too. We're going to find out a lot about these these coaches and what they're able to do and kind of the direction uh, that this program takes under them once those pads come, come on. And USC set to kick off spring ball uh, March 10th. Sounds like first day in pads is going to be that Saturday. And then we'll get a, a real sense of... Uh, what this team's going to be like because not a ton of help from the freshman class most likely uh, coming in in the fall, where you have a lot of offensive linemen, defensive linemen that you assume are going to need you know that kind of seasoning uh, a year or two kind of in the system before they show up. So again, this staff uh, ready to get going, and, and so are we uh, ready to see this staff. So so that's our, our look, our wrap up at, at meeting the new. Defensive staff also, uh, ta- you know, hearing from a couple offensive coaches today. So for Greg Katz, uh, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks so much for listening to the We Are SC podcast.